We're talking about uh, end time essentials and what I, some of the things that I believe are, are critical in the days in which we live. We, last week, we, um, we started off with what I felt like was foundational, and that is an, an unshakable faith in an unchanging God. An unshakable faith in an unchanging God. And to do that, to, to see what that really looked like, we went to the third chapter of Daniel. And we took a look at these three, uh, three Hebrew boys that had been taken captive uh, as, as, uh, and, and war had been taken away from their home country to Babylon. And the, along with their friend Daniel, God had given them favor. They had, uh, they had actually been promoted and they were in positions of authority within this, uh, this really uh, evil kingdom in Babylon. And then we look at, uh, at the king had, uh, had set up an image, a statue, 90 feet tall of gold and that, uh, that he had declared was God and that all the, the nation would come, everyone would come and bow down before this image and worship it. And we looked at, uh, at these three Hebrew children and they had decided a long time ago that the God that they served was a God that had been tried. And so they, when everyone else fell and bowed the knee in worship, they stood tall. And we looked at, 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 at an, what an unshakable faith looked like. This morning, I want to talk to you about what I consider another essential for end time living, and that is a tender heart that is sensitive to God's word, a tender heart that's sensitive to God's word. And again, to look at a a template, if you'll allow me to say that, that God has given us of what that kind of heart looks like in an individual. I want you to go with me again to an Old Testament book. This time, I want you to go with me to the book of 2 Kings, 2 Kings. I want to talk about a young man by the name of Josiah, but to give you a little background of who, of where Josiah came from, in 2 Kings chapter 21, chapter 21 verses 1 and 2, Manasseh was Josiah's grandfather. It says Manasseh was 12 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 55 years in Jerusalem. And his mother's name was Hephzibah. <laughs> he called her mama. <laughs> and Manasseh, verse 2 says, did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord, after whom the Lord, said, after the abominations of the heathen, whom the Lord cast out before the children of Israel. Now Manasseh, verse 2, kind of just sums it up very, very mildly. Manasseh began reigning when he was 12. He reigned for 55 years, and he was a very, very wicked king. He was a murderous king. One verse says that the blood, that blood flowed in Jerusalem from his murders. He was a king that had that, uh, brought in national astrology and worshiping of the stars. He brought in idol worship. He, uh, he brought in occult, all kinds of occultic practices, even to the point of offering human sacrifices on the, on the idols offered, on the altars to the idols there in Israel. I wanted, I, I just wanted to let you see who Manasseh was, but, but in all, again, in all fairness, and, and, and in complete disclosure, um, go with me, if you will, 
to 2 Chronicles chapter 33. 2 Chronicles chapter 33. Manasseh was, his, his, his reign was so wicked that, that God determined he was, going to, he was going to deal with the wickedness of not only Manasseh, but that the nation had followed him into. And, 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 uh, and as part of that judgment, uh, Israel was conquered by the Babylonians. Manasseh was taken as a POW over into Babylon. And in 2 Chronicles chapter 33, picking up with verse 12, we notice something. It says, Manasseh, when he was afflicted, when he was in affliction, he besought the Lord his God and humbled himself greatly before the God of his fathers. Now, Manasseh's father was Hezekiah. Hezekiah was a good king, and Hezekiah was a godly man. And it says in verse 13 that Manasseh prayed unto him, and God listened to him, and he heard his supplication. And, and this is amazing to me. This is the grace, again, this, the, this, the youth song, uh, swept up in grace like an avalanche, caught up in his grace like an avalanche. Manasseh, in all his wickedness, in all his idolatry, in all his witchcraft, in all his murdering ways, yet in, when, he, when he finds himself in a place where there's nowhere else to turn, he looks up and he remembers the God of his father and he begins praying to him. And God, who is rich in mercy and rich in grace, listens to him and grants forgiveness. Man, I, I read this and I think, God, you are so much more gracious and kind and forgiving than man could ever be. You know, how, you know all, the, all the, the demonic, all the, the hurt families, the wounded, the, the, the innocence that had been destroyed through Manasseh. And God would, would look at this this criminal look at this this murderer would look at this this man who had not only done these things but had led his nation in that and God would grant him forgiveness yeah that's the kind of God we serve wow wow look at this he says and 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 he prayed and and was entreated and God heard him and he brought him again to Jerusalem to his kingdom and then Manasseh knew that the Lord was God. Now, then it tells it after this that he builds a wall. And, he, and in verse 15, he takes away the strange gods and the idols out of the house of the Lord. And look at this. And all the altars that he had built, these false altars that, that Manasseh had built, he starts getting rid of them. He's trying to, to make amends. He's trying to clean up. He's trying to purge. And verse 16, and he repaired the altar of the Lord. Now, we're going to see this, and Anise brought this to my attention last week, I think it was, after I had mentioned uh, Elijah and the prophets of Baal and the, and the uh, confrontation on Mount Carmel. And Elisha came up, she said, you notice he repaired the altar. She said that's, that in the Old Testament, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a reference, it's a picture of repentance. And here we see this, that Manasseh repenting and repairing and rebuilding the altar. 
And then he offered peace offerings and thank offerings. And it commanded Judah to serve the Lord God of Israel. And then he, Manasseh dies. Now in 2 Kings, look in verse 18, chapter 21. Manasseh dies. And Manasseh slept with his fathers and was buried in the garden of his own house in the garden of Uzzah. And Ammon, his son, reigned in his stead. Now Ammon, or Ammon, was Josiah's daddy. And it says, Ammon, in verse 19, Ammon was 22 years old when he began to reign. And he reigned two years in Jerusalem. And his mother's got a name too. (laughs) And verse 20 says, that Ammon did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord. Matter of fact, Ammon's reign was so evil that he was, two years into his reign, he was killed by some of his own family. Now, this is amazing to me because Ammon was 22 years old. That means that Ammon had been alive when his father was reigning in Judah. He had, he had, he had, he had seen uh, his father in great power and arrogance and pride. And yet he also had seen when his father would have been taken away captive to Babylon. And he had seen his father come back to Judah as a changed person. He had seen what God working in the heart of a person who is truly repentant can do. Completely different, 180 degrees. A man who was ruthless, murderous, uncaring, unloving, unkind, unfeeling. Now, he's wanting to make things right. And I am fully convinced that this father and son, that there had been some heart-to-heart communication as Manasseh was sharing with his son, son, listen, you, you, need, you need, don't do like I did when I was d- young and dumb, you know? But, but know there's a God, and this God who has given me a forgiveness, this God that has changed everything in my life, this God who has forgiven everything I've ever done. I, you know, there's people I've heard, I've wounded, I've done all this, but God's forgiven me. Son, follow this God. And yet Ammon, when Ammon comes onto the throne, no, he is, he is wicked, evil, terribly wicked. This is Josiah's daddy. Okay, now Ammon was, uh, what, what do we say, he's 22 years old, he reigned two years, he was 24, 23, 24, somewhere in there, I don't know, 22 years, he began to reign, he reigned two years, 24, and he died. All right, now look at what happened now. Verse 19, verse 20, he did evil. Now look in chapter 22. Josiah was eight years old when he began to reign. And he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. And his mother's name was Jedidiah. And she had folks. And it says, and, and, and Josiah did that which was right in the sight of the Lord and walked in all the way of David, his father. Now David, they were part of the lineage, the ancestry of David. And Josiah followed, he did what was right. And, and verse two says, and he turned not aside to the right or the left. We'd say he is as straight as an arrow. Now, Josiah was eight. And we got any eight-year-olds in here this morning? Anybody, anybody eight? Any eight-year-olds? Who's eight? Willie B. Willie B's eight right here. Any, any other eight-year-old? Where? 
Julie, Julia's eight. All right, Julia, stand up. Willie B, stand up. Stand up, Julia. All right, Josiah was your age. He, this is how old he was when he became king. Look at this. All right, you can sit down. Now, I'm sure that, that Josiah had around him people. Uh, Julia, you've got, you've got your, your Aunt Linda right there and people. Willie B., you still got mom and dad, but, but Josiah's dad was gone, but, he, but he, he had people around him that would help them make decisions. But Josiah had a desire, even at eight years old, that he was going to do what was right. Now, into his reign a few years, about 18 years, when he's 26, Josiah orders the temple to be, to be cleaned out and to be repaired. And I love this. It's no better place to start when we're wanting national revival than starting in God, with God's people. That's where it starts. It don't start with the heater. It starts with us. And so he's ordered the temple to go in and, and get rid of all the, everything that don't belong there, anything that doesn't, that's not of God, get it out of there. And in cleaning out the temple, they, they find this, this book somewhere that had been stored or covered up by, by rubble or whatever. Go with me down to verse 10 of chapter 22. And Saphon, Saphon, the scribe, now he was a guy, a scribe was a guy who, who wrote down everything that was said. Today, you know, when, when national business or government business goes on, they've got somebody there's recording it and they transcribe it and they have all, they print volumes of books and all this stuff to be sure that what's said, you know, they got a record. But in, in these days, they had scribes. They had men that this is where their job, they did it. Saphon comes to the king, Josiah in verse 10, and he says, Hilkiah, the priest, has a, found this a book. Now, what, what was that book? Today we would say it was, it was probably the Bible, but it wasn't, kind of, it wasn't the Bible like, like, like we have. They didn't have the Bible like this. New Testament wasn't there. But they had the law, and we're going to see that this is some of Moses' writings. Uh, you know, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. They had the law, and it may have been in scrolls, or whatever, but they found them, they delivered them, the priest brings them to Saphon, and then Saphon, in verse uh, 10, reads it to King Josiah, when Josiah's 26 years old. And look at this, it came to pass when the king heard the words of the book of the law, what did he do? Tore his clothes. He rent, this the King James says rent, that, that means he tore, he tore his clothes. Why? Would he tear his clothes? Didn't like them? Don't fit? No. When, when, in Old Testament, and, and even in Scripture sometimes, and sometimes today still, as, as a sign of deep grief, deep concern, it's, it's, like, it's, like, it's like, oh! And, and, and the book of the law that they read tells of God's judgment on the nation for the sins of the people. And he, and he hears this, and he tears his clothes. Well, the king then sends the priest, Hilkiah, and, uh, and some men, 
And they go, they, they go visit Huldah. Huldah was a, a prophetess. She was a lady that, that was known because of she prayed. She was known because she could hear from God and get in touch with God. And Josiah says, you, you go talk to Huldah. Tell her what's going on. Ask her what we need to do. Get some advice here. Picking up with verse 18, Huldah then gives the word back to the, she says, you go tell the king of Judah. That's Josiah in verse 18. You go tell Josiah who sent you to ask of the Lord, say to him, this is what the Lord of God of Israel says concerning the words which you heard read to you. Look at verse 19. Verse 19 is critical. We're going to keep coming back to verse 19. 2 Kings 22, 19. Because, this is God saying to, to, to King Josiah, because your heart was tender. And we're going to take a look at that. What does that mean? What does a tender heart look like? And, and, and God shows us. But he says, because your heart was tender and you've humbled yourself. A tender heart is the humble heart. You've humbled yourself before the Lord. When you heard, a tender heart hears God's word. When you heard what I spake against this place and against the inhabitants thereof, that should become a desolation and a curse. And because you have torn your clothes and wept, a tender heart is a humble heart. A tender heart is a forgiving heart. A tender heart is a, is a, a repentant heart. He says, you wept before me. And because God saw Josiah's heart and Josiah's response to God's word, he says, I've heard you. And he says, therefore, all the things that I've determined to bring against the nation, I'm not going to bring them in your lifetime. Now, Josiah, Josiah would, would be killed later in battle. But, but the prophet says, tell the king, because he has a tender heart. And because of his response to my word, I'm going to stay my judgment for a period of time. The end times require that we have, I believe, a tender heart like Josiah's. A tender heart hears God's voice. And God desires that. God pleads with us over and over. He pleads in scripture for us to have a tender heart. In Isaiah chapter 46, verse 19, uh, verse 12, I'm sorry. Isaiah 46, 12. Notice that of, of what he's saying, God says through the prophet Isaiah, he says, listen to me. You stubborn-hearted. Some translations will have there, you hard-hearted. You stubborn-hearted people. You who are now far away from my righteousness. God's desire is that we stay tender before him so that we hear him when he speaks. And I read this and I thought, oh my goodness, what, what can cause us to have a hard heart? We need to be careful. What can, what can bring us to that point so that we don't hear God when he's speaking? It's critical in the days in which we live. It's even more critical in the days that are right here that we be able to hear God. What would hinder us from hearing God? Daniel chapter 5 gives us a clue. And in Daniel chapter 5, the situation is that Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and Nebuchadnezzar was known as a ruthless ruler, one of, the, one of the most probably, if not the most powerful ruler in the world at that time. Vast world empire. He was sovereign. He, you, you lived or died at his whim. It didn't matter. And man, it, it, it's just like this. 
And he walked out one day, he was walking out one evening, looked all around at, at Babylon and the wonders and the hanging gardens and all this. And he said, look what I've built, man. I'm God. And God said, wait a minute, big boy. Well, if he'd, he may not say it hardly like that. You know, if, if you're King James, you probably believe that God has said us, wait just a minute, big boy. I don't, but God said, no, you're not going to do that. You're not going to do that. He said, I'm not going to share my glory with anybody. And so scripture tells us then that, that God drove Nebuchadnezzar. Yeah, he, he, became, he became crazy. Yeah, I wasn't going to say that. But, but it was like, he, 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 the scripture says that, he, that he, he, he ate grass like a, animal he just didn't stick a stalk in there he ate it his nails became long like claws his hairs like feathers at least he had hair but but i I gotta can't go there look at look at what it says here daniel chapter five we get daniel five verse 20 bo don't listen to me follow me going in scripture up there get ahead of me man all right daniel 5 20 it said but when his heart when nebuchadnezzar's heart was lifted up and his mind hardened in pride he was disposed from his kingly throne and they took his glory from him. And if you follow it on down, they did this until he came to the place where they realized that God was God. But, the, but Daniel 5.20 warns us that a hard heart is a result of pride. Now I'm convinced, I was thinking about this this week, I am convinced that a hard heart and a stubborn heart are pretty close kin. They got to be cousins, okay? Uh, 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 because a, 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 a prideful heart, a prideful heart says, I can do this. I don't need anybody. I've got it handled. I can do this myself. I don't need anything. And then when the circumstances are all around us and, and are, are saying otherwise and overwhelming us and trying to say, you do need somebody. There's somebody there waiting for you. There's somebody. Then a stubborn heart says, I don't care what you say or what you do. I still ain't going to need anybody. See, they're close. And that's, that's that pride. That's that stubbornness that, that puts us so that we, we don't hear God. We don't, we don't get tender before him. Pride hardens the heart, but a humble heart is tender before God. I, I ran across a story. This happened several years ago in Edinburgh, University of Edinburgh. There was a professor there named Stuart Blackie. It says he was listening to his students as they presented oral readings. When one young man rose to begin his recitation, he held a book in the left hand, his wrong hand. And the professor professor thundered, take your book in the right hand and be seated. Sit down. Shut up. At his harsh rebuke, the student held up his right arm. He didn't have a right hand. The other students shifted uneasily in their chairs and for a moment the professor did nothing then he made his way to the student put his arm around him and with tears streaming from his eyes said I never knew about it please will you forgive me now says his humble apology made a lasting impact on, on that young man. The reason I read the story, though, is what I'm going to read to you next. Several years later, a person was telling this story. says they were telling it in a large gathering of Christians, believers. At the close of the meeting, a young man came forward, turned to the crowd, and he raised his right arm. It ended at the wrist. 
He said, I was that student. And he said, Professor Blackie led me to Christ. But now listen to this. He said, but he never could have done it if he had not first made the wrong right. Do you you hear what he's saying? This professor, in a a matter of, 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 of moments, could have, in pride and stubbornness, said, I'm the professor. I didn't know you had a ham, but uh, you know you could have you could have made some other accommodations. You should have you know you should have. It's all your fault. Sit down. He could have he could have rose up in stubbornness, and arrogance, and pride, but because he humbled himself, and because he would go up in front of the whole class with tears, saying, "Ask, will you forgive me?" Later on. He built a bridge that day that later on he was able to to walk this young man across to faith in Jesus Christ as as his Savior. That's the power of a humble heart. Matter of fact, Peter talks about it. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse verse 5 and verse 6 talks about, says, Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the older. Submission talks about humility. It's a willing to say, whatever you say, man. Those of us that have been married for any length of time, happily, we understand submission. He says, yes, and all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility. Now, look at this. For God, what? Resists who? The proud and gives grace to whom? Let me ask you, do you want grace from God or do you want God to say, no? God resists the proud. He gives grace to the humble. Next verse. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that he may exalt you in due time. A tender heart is a humble heart. And a humble heart, I believe, is a heart that, that feels and sees and senses the things, the hurts around them. Stories told of, uh, what's... Uh, Years ago, they had a lot of these little books, and they come out, one, two, three, four of them. Chicken soup for the soul. Chicken soup for the soul. Good little stories. Little story in one of the chicken soup for the soul's book. Little four-year-old boy, and his, his next-door neighbor's wife had died. And, and his mom had evidently told him, you know, Miss so-and-so is going to be with Jesus. She's not here. The little boy was out in the yard playing a day or two later. And he saw his next door neighbor sitting on his porch in his rocking chair crying. Just crying. The little boy runs next door, runs up on the porch and crawls up in his lap and gets his head up in under his neighbor's arms and sitting there. The mama watches and watches. Finally, the boy crawls down and, and mama comes over there and says, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And as she takes the little boy back, she said to him, honey, what did you say to him? He said, nothing, mama. I just helped him cry. That's the picture of a humble heart. Sometimes we think we have to know what to say. Yeah? That we, that we, we, we need to know, we have, need to write, have words, have the right words. No, sometimes we just need to Help them cry. That's a humble heart. That's a tender heart. But a tender heart is also a forgiving heart. One of my favorite scriptures is is Ephesians chapter 4, verses 31 and 32. 
it says this, and, 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 and the writer of, of Ephesians here, he's telling us how to, how to live together as Christians, how to get along together, how, how we're supposed to uh, interact with each other. And he says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking. Now, listen to a bunch of stuff. You think, my goodness, boy, that was a mess. He's talking about what Christians can let get in their lives. He's not writing this to a bunch of the world out there. He's writing this to a bunch of Christians that can, if they aren't careful, pride and stubbornness can harden your hearts. He said, put all these away from you with all malice. And notice what he says. And be ye kind one to another. I love this next word. What does it say? Tenderhearted. Tenderhearted. Forgiving one another. Now, he could have said all this and he could have stopped right there and we, would, we might have had an out. Okay. You know, get rid of, start of all, get rid of all, uh, all, all, watch your language, watch what you say, watch your attitudes toward each other. And he could have stopped right there and we could have said, well, you just don't know what, how bad it got. You know, you don't know what they did. You don't know how deeply it hurt. But he puts, <laughs> the Holy Spirit is so thorough. The Holy Spirit has him to put this last little phrase in there. Look at it. Even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. Doesn't that, doesn't that put it in perspective? Doesn't that put it in beautiful perspective? Lord, how horrible I was. All the things I said, all the things I did. Things that people don't even know about. Yeah, you've forgiven me. See, this is, this is Manasseh. God, for Christ's sake. This is jury. A tender heart is a humble heart, but a tender heart is also a forgiving heart. And a tender heart is also a repentant heart. Joel chapter 2 verse 12 and verse 13. Joel says, therefore also now says the Lord, turn you to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, with mourning. This is what Lois is talking about. This is what Anise has been talking about. And, and look at this word, and rent. Now here's the same word where it said Josiah rent, tore. Here, and he says, and rend your heart and not your garments. In other words, he's saying that this, this tender heart is a repentant heart. And a repentant heart is a heart that's torn, that's grieved, is hurt by the things that sees. It says, and turn to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, of great kindness, and repenteth him of the evil that he's thought about. Go with me back to, to 2 Chronicles chapter 33. Real quickly, then we're going back to King. 2 Chronicles 33. Speaking of Josiah, verse 16. No, this is, this is Manasseh. Back to, to Manasseh. It says, and he repaired the altar of the Lord. Remember I mentioned a while ago that speaks of repentance. He repented. A tender heart is a repentant heart before God. And Josiah repaired the altar in a temple. And a repentant heart is an obedient heart. Second Kings 23, look in verse, verse 2. And the king went up to the house of the Lord. I'm going to need to go to verse 3. Stay right there. And all the men of Judah and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem with him. And then, then here we come. And the king stood by the pillar and made a covenant before the Lord to walk after the Lord. This is Josiah. And to keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all their heart, with all their soul, and to obey. That means to perform the words of his covenant. means and to be obedient to that which was written in the law. And all the people stood. 
Now look at verse 25. And liken to him, this is God, you know what God thought about Josiah and this, this, this tender heart? It says, and liken to him, there was no king before him that turned to the Lord, look at this, with all his heart, with all his soul, with all his mind. Does that remind you of something in the New Testament? Jesus said, you'll love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And here we have a king, a 26-year-old king who came on the throne when he was eight years old, whose daddy was a scoundrel and a murderer, whose grandfather had had a life of, of, of debauchery and retchery, yet God in his mercy had, had changed him completely. And God here in this young king's heart finds a, a heart that's tender, that's humble, that's repentant, that's forgiving, and that's obedient. He said, there's not ever been one like him according to all the law of Moses, before him or after him. Now, how do we get the tender heart? We've looked at some of the things that, that hinder that, pride, stubbornness. How do, we, how do we get that? Ezekiel, chapter 36, is a... Is a now, and, 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 the, and, and the portion of Scripture in Ezekiel 36, God is specifically talking to the nation of Israel who have, who have followed, who have not listened to him. They've not been obedient to him. They've been prideful as a people. They've been rebellious as a people. And God talks about what he can do in their life. That's the context of this. But I'm convinced as we look at this and look in the New Testament too, that the same God who done this for Israel can do it individually and does it individually. He said, I will take a new heart also. I'll give you a new spirit I'll put within you. I'm reminded of, is in Corinthians, where he said, therefore, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. He said, and I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh. And he said, I'll put my spirit within you, cause you to walk in my statutes, and you'll keep my judgments and do them. And he said, and you'll dwell in the land that I've given to you. The psalmist David, Psalm 51 would say it this way. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Scripture tells us that we're to guard our heart, for out of it are the issues of life. The days in which we live, the days that are immediately before us, I believe it's essential that we have a tender heart that's sensitive to God's word. And a tender heart is a humble heart. A tender heart is a repentant heart. A tender heart is a forgiving heart. And a tender heart is an obedient heart. Because you see, I'm convinced there's no true repentance unless there's obedience. That's the difference between repentance and being sorry. <laughs> okay? I'm sorry. What does that mean? Well, God tell them I'm sorry, you're going to get spanking. Yeah, if I tell them I'm sorry, maybe I won't get spanking. But a true repentance brings a change in, in behavior and change in attitude. How's your heart? It's a, good, it's a good place to be. We're getting ready to come to the communion table. And I'm convinced that uh, really... Our, our God 
in you and me. God in me know my heart. You know, I might, I might pull the wool over some people's eyes. You might, you don't have time to do that, but people do it all the time. We play games. Don't need to do that. How's your heart? Father, we love you this morning. Seems like all morning long has been about uh, your love for us, your grace, your mercy, your desire, Lord, that we hear you, your desire that we respond to you when we hear your voice, your desire, Lord, that we walk in that humility, that we walk in that forgiveness one with another, that we walk, Lord, before you, repentant, very, keeping very sh- short tabs, close tabs of any wrong, of any sin, and obeying. Father, how appropriate now that in a morning that this has been, seemed like the focus and the theme that we come to your table. And your table is a reminder of your redemption for us, your sacrifice, your love, the length that your love went and goes for us. God, that you would give your son Jesus, that he would give his body a sacrifice for us. And God, as we looked at Josiah, and last week we looked at the three Hebrew boys, and we look at so many good examples, Lord, I'm, I'm aware that in Christ, we have an example of all of it. An unshakable faith, a tender heart that's sensitive to your voice. He came, matter of fact, Jesus would say that he didn't come to do his own thing, his own will, but he came to do the will of the one who sent him. He came to do your will. And your will was that Jerry Helton, that Jim Buckman, that Travis, that no one would perish, but that we could have everlasting life. Father, as we just pause before you right here, I'd ask that uh, like the writer of the Psalms, if there are those here this morning that we've allowed sin to maybe in our lives and we've tried to cover it David had surely had an opportunity to let pride and stubbornness make his heart hard but instead when confronted with his sin he was repentant that's why scripture says that Josiah followed you like his like David father it's my prayer this morning if there are brothers and sisters here Maybe they've been wounded. Maybe they've been hurt. Maybe, maybe that hurt has been so deep that it's caused resentments or bitterness or anger. And Lord, they're, they're, in a, they're in a very precarious situation. They're in a dangerous situation where pride and stubbornness now is threatening to callous their heart over. Lord, don't let us be to that place. I pray that right now, for any Christian right here, before we ever come to the communion table, if God's Holy Spirit is speaking to you about areas of your life where you're getting a little stubborn, you're stubbing up on God, maybe you're stubbing up on people that God's put around you, and you're saying, who are they? Who's she? Who's he? Tell me what to do. I'll do what I want to do. My friend, what you want to do really is to humble yourself before the mighty hand of God. And I pray you do that right now.
And then, Father, it's my prayer. There may be those here this morning who's never asked Jesus Christ into their life as their Lord and Savior. You're so gracious. You're so loving. Manasseh, for 55 years, Lord, for most of those years, he would would lead people away from you and cause all kinds of hurt and pain. But when he humbled himself, you were there. If you're here this morning and you've never asked Christ to come into your life, you may be five or you may be 55 or you may be 95 or anywhere in between or more. But when the Holy Spirit of God is speaking to you and drawing you and saying, you need to ask Jesus to come in. If you, by an act of your will this morning, will say, God, I'm responding to what you're doing and I'm asking you to forgive me. Come in my life. Forgive me. Make me your son or daughter. He'll do that right now. Right now. Listen to his voice. Keep your heart tender. Father, help us to keep our hearts tender by staying humble before you. In Christ I pray. Amen.